Congregation in this evening service, I want to focus on Luke 7, verse 44, the first part of that. And we read that in scripture, and he turned, Jesus, to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? so far. The theme of the preaching is this question. Seest thou this woman? Or seeing this woman? And with the help of the Lord we have three thoughts. In the first place, the perspective of Simon, of seeing through the eyes of Simon. The second place, the perspective of the woman. How is she seeing herself? So we are looking through the eyes of the woman. And in the third place, it will not be difficult, I think, for you, seeing this woman through the eyes of Jesus, the perspective of Jesus. So, seeing this woman, first the perspective of Simon, second the perspective of the woman, and in the third place, the perspective of Jesus. Simon is happy. He's doing really well in life and he can afford to organize great dinners. So he regularly organizes a meal for important guests. But it's always a difficult case. A question. Who should invite? Perhaps you recognize that. You have a wedding and and you have to invite people who and who not. Which people are usually on the guest list? Of course, the scholars from the synagogue and some rich friends. It's very nice to invite them because they will invite you back. You ask, they ask. Give a little, take a little. It's the lifestyle of people like Simon. But what about that special Rabbi? Jesus of Nazareth. Shall he invite him as well? Jesus and his fellow disciples? There's a controversy in his heart. On one hand, he does not feel like doing that. Trebi preaches so differently than Simon teaches at the school of the rabbis. Jesus does not preach that a man will be blessed by good works, by obeying the Jewish law and all the commandments they have made 
around the love of God. Jesus is talking about lost sheep. That are being searched by the good shepherd. Unbelievable. <laughs> then, then that story about the prodigal son. That awful boy who had said goodbye to his father and, and left the synagogue. And Jesus said, That son who came back with repentance about his sins was welcome again. Impossible. Incredible. That son was dead. Forever. Lost. No return. No way back to home. On top of that, Jesus was very sharp in his judgment about Simon's colleagues. He shows no respect to the truly wise man, to the scribes. But on the other hand, Jesus will be fascinating. A fascinating appearance among the guests. All the other guests will be curious about Jesus' message. Or what even he will do. Maybe he will do a miracle. He will heal a sick man or woman. And then the name of Simon will be called, will be mentioned. People will say, that was in the house of, of Simon. Very good for his name. After hesitation for a while, he makes a decision and he decides to invite Jesus. And Jesus, what will he do, children? What do you think? He knows everything. He knows what's in the heart of, of Simon. He knows that there's no real love for him. And it's only because Simon is proud of everything in his house and in his person. But this is accepts the invitation that's a self-denial for Jesus and this enmity is also part of his suffering because Jesus knows very well that Simon would rather not meet him now we will focus on the perspective of Simon we are looking through his eyes or through his glasses you also can say that what's happening the day when, when the people are in Simon's house in the dining room you have to know that a dining room in, in, in that time had open windows Everybody outside could watch what's happening inside. 
people from the street could see the guests and they also could listen to the conversations in the dining room. So the people are crowded to front the open windows. They talk to each other about what they are seeing. Who have ever thought it? Simon would invite by Jesus. But they also see and feel that Simon not really loves Jesus. That there's a lack of love for Jesus. Some people are disgraced, others are silent. Because it's dangerous to speak negatively about a very important person like Simon. It's bad when we speak to people's mouth. When we, like Simon, and, and other people will distinguish between people on whom we depend and people on whom we are not or less depend. James is warning for this. Uh, this morning also was citating James. He, he says, don't do that. My beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. That's not how the Lord is doing things. And then what happens? Suddenly, then a woman is coming, a woman. All heads are turning around. That woman. They know her. So man turned red in the face. They know her very well. Other persons, other people are calling, what, what's she doing here? The woman has a can of parfum called Nardus in her hand, pretends to hear nothing and to see nobody. She hurries through the gate and she enters the dining room. People outside push each other. They all want to see what's happening now. But that woman is focusing on one person. She doesn't look at the disciples. She doesn't look at Simon either. She looks upon Jesus. Do you recognize that in your own life? Seeing Jesus alone. The crowd wants to see what she's doing. She's standing behind Jesus. And then she, she begins to weep. A stream of tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And his feet get completely wet. And, and then she loosens her hair. 
it's very unusual for a woman to do that and she dries his feet and, and then she take the can of perfume and anoints his feet with the nardus and a delicious smell fills the dining room. It's getting very quiet now. Nobody says anything. All eyes are focusing on Jesus. What will he say to that woman? She's a sinner. That's what they know. But Jesus doesn't say anything. Remember, you, you read that often in the scripture, that, that Jesus is saying nothing. You know, that when the Pharisee were bringing an adulterous woman to him and, and asked him what, what would be done with that woman, that Jesus was remaining silent and that he wrote his finger in the sand. Only after a long time he spoke, was without sin, cast the first stone. And later, when he was standing before Pilate, the governor marveled at him. But Jesus was silent. He didn't defend himself. We can learn about that. We have also to be silent when it's necessary. I read in James, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. I read in the praying of David, Said, Watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Jesus doesn't say any word. Then Simon breaks the silence and he's speaking in himself. But loudly enough, everybody may hear it. You, you recognize this? Maybe that, that somebody is speaking in him or herself and, and that the meaning of that is that everybody will hear it, or that you will hear it. He's speaking about other people. He's now speaking about Jesus and about that woman. He expresses his displeasure. If Jesus will be a real prophet, sent by God, then he would have known that woman is a bad woman. That woman is a sinner. She is a lost person, full of sins and inequities. There's no way back to God in the eyes of Simon. Ah, Simon, you know, that he is not without any sin. But Simon is like an accountant. He, he is making a balance. And he says, I do a lot of good things. And that can be compensated by my debts, by the wrong things. Above that, Simon has a wrong idea about what is sin. If 
offense that when you're not doing the deed, you, you do not commit adultery with a woman or with a man, other men, other women, then you are not sinning, although when you are thinking about it, when your mind is infected by wrong ideas. But the Lord says in his commandments that when we are desiring wrong things, when we desire to commit adultery, we are looking upon a woman with, with wrong ideas, or for example, you're watching porn, then you're also committing adultery. We call that the spirituality of the law. And the Lord knows what we, what you and I are thinking. And that's what Simon is denying. He is only counting the deed, the act. And Simon thinks, I will be saved. Because when I am accounting all my good works, my praying, reading the scripture, the Old Testament, respecting the Sabbath, giving money to poor people, that's enough. That's enough. To enter the kingdom of God. That's his problem. Maybe your problem as well. Simon is filled with self-love. He's proud. And there is no love for Real love for God and real love for other people. He is a sinner, but he doesn't see it. It was McChain who was also singing. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my lot. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah's Sitkanu was nothing to me. I oft read with pleasure to soothe of our engage. Isaiah's with measure and John's simple page. But even when they picture the blood sprinkled tree, Jehovah Zitkeno seemed nothing to me. And you? Boys and girls, older people, 
Because what we now see in the life of Simon is also in our lives. It's about you and me when we are not converted, when we are not regenerated, reborn, when they are not the fruits in our life. Then the Lord says this evening, you are a sinner, you are guilty, because I know everything. Let's not raise above Simon, because Jesus says, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall not in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need a different righteousness than the self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Only the righteousness of Christ. And Paul called that in the letter to the Ephesians, the breastplate of righteousness. That we need. That only can save us. That was our first thought. Looking to the woman, to the eyes of Simon. Seeing this woman through the eyes of Simon, an unconverted person, and now seeing this woman through the eyes of the woman. How is he looking at herself? That's the question. The problem is, she doesn't say anything. No words. Nothing. She's quite silent. We all see some things. We see her weeping. We read about her tears. That she is drying the feet of Jesus with her hair and that she is anointing him and kissing his feet that's what we read it are deeds she's doing things but saying nothing but you can say a lot of very much you can say with what you're doing with how you are acting. When somebody is crying, is weeping, you say, ah, you, you, you must have sorrow, you grieve. What, what's, what's the matter? You feel there's, there's something happening, or something has happened. And, and that's also in this case, in this history. The Dutch translators, we call them the Statenvertalers, have commands, and they 
say these are signs of repentance. Signs of repentance and love for Christ emanating from the feelings of her sins and of the forgiveness of them. That's what they have written down. So that woman had seen herself as a sinner, as a great sinner. She had lived in sins, like the Samaritan woman, about who we this morning were speaking. She had a bad lifestyle. Most explainers, commentaries, uh, say she has committed adultery. That's clear when you see the whole context. That means that she had broken the hearts of other women. And above, she had sinned against God, against his commandments. And her eyes were opened by yeah, by the preaching, maybe of John the Baptist or Jesus. We don't know. But it, it happened. And the Holy Spirit had applied that preaching to her, brought it in her heart. Sinning. What, what's that, congregation? Sin. Maybe we are speaking a lot of times about sin. I'm a sinner, we're a sinner, we are sinners, we're sinful. But, but, but that, what do that mean? You can say it so very easily. Some people will say sin, that's a, a damaged car, for example. Or when the glass will, will be broken, ah, oh, Oh, that's a sin. No, that's not sin. No. Let's, let's have a look upon Psalm 32. That's a psalm written by David, and it is about sin and about forgiveness. And then David is using three words for sin. The first word is, is sin. Yeah. Sin. So, like we use it maybe every day in our language. That means uh, you are missing the targets. You are missing goal. Maybe, boys, you are f- playing football and and then the ball is not going in the goal. And then you say, ah, missing goal. Pity, pity. Sin is missing the goal. Missing why we have gotten eyes. Not, not to watch porn, for example. Not to 
upon women with sinful desires. We have gotten urge not to listen to wrong music. We got hands not to do wrong things with it. For example, to steal. We got legs not to go with it legs to places where the Lord where of the Lord says where about the Lord says that's not the place where I will work. It's the place of Satan. So we have to honor God with our eyes, with our ears, with our hands, with our legs, in, 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 in thinking about him, in doing the right things, in doing our job. That's the first definition and the first meaning of sin. Then the second, the second therefore is used the word transgression. Transgression. It's in verse 1 and verse 5 of Psalm 32. Then David speaks about his transgressions. I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hit? I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Transgressions, what is that? Then you are crossing a border. The Lord says, these are my commandments. And these are the borders in your life. And when you cross the border, you break the law, the law of God. That's a transgression. So you can take the commandments and, 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 and look if your life is according that commandments or not. And then you have not only to focus on on what you're doing, the deed, but also your thinking. We already heard this evening. Transgressions. And then, the last meaning of sin is iniquities. Iniquities. It's smelling very bad. It's very dirty. It's coming up. And the Lord says it's so dirty. It smells so very badly. Bad. So that are the three meanings of sin. And that's what the Lord will teach all the regenerated people. You will get eyes for that. And that woman got also eyes for that, for his sinful life. And that gives repentance in a life. Repentance. Repentance that means that you feel sorrow about that. 
that your heart is weeping about what you did. Why? Because you see that the Lord is holy and that the Lord is good. And that you did these things against him. And that you broke his law. And that you are not doing what he wants. And you say, he deserves, he deserves so much better. Repentance is necessary. You can read about it in the Westminster Confession. Uh, a special chapter is about that. Chapter 15. I will citate a part of that. There, our father says, say, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. And they, they say, it, it's not only about the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and the righteous law of God. They also write, although repentance be not be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace, grace in Christ, yet is it of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. And the last part I will citate, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. This morning we are also speaking about the modification of the of the old man daily the daily modification because sins still exists eh? you know the complaints of I think the complaints of Paul the, that he felt I'm still a sinner I'm doing still wrong things there's a battle in me in my soul to do good and to do bad. And, 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 and the Lord will not, not say, oh, I will forget the sins. I will forget it without that you have repentance, without that you will confess it. We read it in the, in the, in the Psalms, for example, Psalm 51, mercy upon me, O God, According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, brought up out my transgressions, wash me truthfully from mine iniquity, and cleanse me 
from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. It was also the prodigal son. And he's coming to himself, and he says, I have sinned against God and against my father. I will confess my sins. I will go back home and I will confess that. We also read it in the Heidelberg Catechism. The question, Lord Sunday, for I will citate a small part of it. Doth not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform? Answer not at all. Not at all. For God made man capable and performing it. But man, by the instigation of the devil and his own willful disobedience, deprived himself and all this posterity of those divine gifts. That will give reason for repentance. And then the other question, will God, will God suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Answer, by no means. But he's terribly displaced with our original as well as actual sin and will punish them in his just judgment temporarily and eternally. But is not God then also merciful? Answer, God is indeed merciful, but also just. That gives reason for tears. And, and, and then there is the cry for a mediator, the desire to be cleansed by another, by Jesus. Now we are ready for the third thought, the perspective of Jesus. What is Jesus? How is Jesus looking to that woman? We know how he was dealing with publicans and other sinners. We read about, for example, Levi. Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat? and drink with publicans and sinners. And then we hear how Jesus is looking upon the sinners. Jesus answering, said unto them, They that are all need, 
not a physician, but they that are sick. Just they that are whole, that are healthy, they need not a physician, they need not a doctor, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's how he is looking to sinners. Also this evening. So he's watching you and me. Are you a righteous person? Like Simon? Do not repent. There are no tears about your sinful life. Missing the goal in your life. Honoring the Lord. Crossing the border of the commandments. Your iniquities in your heart. The bad smell of that. Do they bring them to him? To the Savior? To given mediator by the Father. That's what, what is necessary. And this is how the Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works. He will glorify, he will honor Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will do that by opening our eyes. And Jesus, when he is looking upon this woman, he sees that his father is drawing this woman to him. And he sees that the Holy Spirit is working in her heart. And he knows. And he wants it. He's very willing. To deliver this woman. To carry away her sins. To comfort this weeping woman. He sees that this woman is believing the promises of the gospel. Anybody who will come to me, I will not reject. I will not throw out. But I will bless them. I will save them. I will cleanse them. I will deliver them. I will break the power of the evil. That's what Jesus is doing. He came to her over mountains of sins and blame. He gives his love by the Holy Spirit that hurts her heart. And he gave her 
the true faith in him. That she could say with the disciples, there's nobody to whom I can go with my sins. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me. This is the, so the Father is that. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He has not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance and to believe in him. It's obvious, it's very uh, clear that Jesus now is making a comparison between Simon and the woman. It's, it's maybe a little bit strange in, in your eyes what he's saying now. Simon? May I ask you a question? That's, that's okay, is the answer of Simon. Master Sion. And then Jesus tells a parable. A parable about a creditor and two debtors. One out 500 pence and the other 50. And when they both had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. So to two debtors, 50 and 500 pence. How much is that? I'm not sure, but you know that the daily wage was one pence. So you can think about 50 days wage and 500 days wage. Big difference. Very big difference. And now both here, it's not necessary to pay back. Tell me, therefore, which of them you love him most? Maybe a little bit odd. Which of them will love him most? To hear that. 
Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. He's feeling I'm on the wrong side. But he has to answer. And then, then Jesus is applying it, the parable to Simon and to the woman. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman, this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her hands. You didn't. You didn't give me what you ought to be because you invited me. These this are, are the normal things you have to do when you invite people, but, but you intentionally did not. Thou gavest me no kiss. Every guest got a kiss. We, we give hands, handshaking, but in, in, in the Eastern they kiss each other. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath no ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee. That's the conclusion. So Jesus is, is making a comparison. And, and he shows the difference between Simon and that woman. What's what Jesus doing now? What do you think? Is, is that woman saved because he did a lot of good things? He did good works? No. No. That's not the reason. But it's exactly how it is in, described in our catechism. It's impossible that those were implanted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. These are fruits of thankfulness. It's not her paying for her debts, for her sins, but it's following. Maybe I may give you an example. I, I've heard a lot of truck drivers. When you have a truck, and you have a trailer. And you say, that's, you have to bring them together. <laughs> you don't, you can't use a truck without a trailer. Because without a trailer you can't carry goods uh, or, or, or animals. But the trailer cannot drive by itself. The trailer needs a truck. And, and the truck has an engine. Now, that's... An example. The faith is the truck and the fruits, the good works, are the trailer. They, they belong to each other. They are connected. Is this clear? I hope so. And that's what, what's happening in the life of this woman. And maybe you do not expect 
expected. But when Jesus is speaking about today, when you will stand before the throne of God, then the Lord will point at the good works, at the fruit. I was naked and you gave me cloth. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was hungry and you gave me food. The fruits. Jesus is pointing at the fruits. That's what he's doing here. And, and he said, he asks Simon, where are thy fruits? Because it's not, it's not doing the things outside, not with your heart, only with, with a deed. No, no, the Lord is looking in his heart. And, and what's in your heart, that, that will show by what you are doing and how you are doing. If there's love in what you are doing, real love, that's true faith in God, in Jesus. And then he says, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many. Yeah, that's correct, Simon. She did a lot of sins. That's correct. You've seen it. But you have forgotten your own sins. Many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love at little. And when nothing is forgiven, there's no love at all. No love at all. Jesus is not saying that, but that Simon can conclude it. No love in my life. So, no true faith. No conversion. No Regeneration. And then he said unto her, to the woman, he speaks now to her, thy sins are forgiven. That woman gets more assurance about her election, but also about her faith in the promises of the gospel. And there's difference. There's there's weak faith and there is more stronger faith. You, you can read it in also, for example, the Canons of Dart and also in the Larcher Westminster Catechism, question 81, and the Westminster Confession, article 14. I will cite that letter article. This faith is different in degree, weak or strong, maybe often and many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to be attained of a full assurance through Christ with both the author and finisher of our faith. So we notice here that, that there was faith, there was true faith 
in the promises of the gospel, but, but Jesus is now giving more assurance because he says to that woman, your sins are forgiven. I've heard it out of his own mouth. And then, yeah, we hear about a reaction. That woman is saying nothing, but the people are discussing now. And they that sat at meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? You as well. Are you also answering this question in your heart? Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Can you say, He is my Savior? He is my Christ. He is my Jesus. Or not? If not, the Lord can say to you, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace, what he said to that woman. But he still is inviting you, come to me. Come to me. One of the brothers Erskine says, Go to Jesus with a broken heart or for a broken heart. Amen.